for tuning in, everyone. It's Michael James Lauren with the Messiah Community Radio Talk Show. If you have OCD, our next guest you will definitely want to have on your speed dial. His name is Dr. Jeffrey Schwartz, and he is known as the world's leader in OCD. He's a research psychiatrist at the School of Medicine at the University of California, Los Angeles, and he's one of the world's leading experts in neuroplasticity. Also, he's a Jewish believer in Jesus Christ, and he's here to talk all about it. So welcome to the program, Dr. Schwartz, and I have to ask, uh, what makes you the expert in OCD? (laughs) Mostly the thing that quote-unquote makes me an expert on OCD. It's just that I've worked with it a long time. And then and then we did a lot of research on it. So in the mid-80s, we were starting with brain imaging, and we actually thought obsessive-compulsive disorder was a very interesting thing. We looked at it. We were fortunate to get a brain finding. Basically, the bottom of the front of the brain is overactive in people who have obsessive-compulsive disorder. And then I did get the bright idea of trying to use essentially this mindfulness-based approach to treating it. And so that did start a long time ago. I mean, really over, well, what is it? It was the late 80s, or whatever that is, 25 years ago. And and it worked. So since we showed the change in the brain just by doing essentially this mindfulness I won't say it was completely mindfulness-based, but it was a cognitive therapy approach that was definitely enhanced by mindfulness. And we showed that that changed the brain in ways that were very comparable to how medication did, and, and it got a lot of attention. So, and, then I wrote, and then I wrote a book on the method, Brain Lock, which, which is very much still a, you know, one of the three best-selling books on self-help for obsessive-compulsive disorder. And then I was on Oprah, you know, I mean, so, hey, I mean, if you want to be an expert, you know, it's good you go on Oprah, and then they call you an expert. So I noticed right after I went on Oprah, how's that? <laughs> That'll work. That'll work. I mean, once you're on Oprah, not many people can say they've been on Oprah. Yes, then you definitely would be uh, considered an expert. And you've had so many years, too, of research. You're very humble. I want to ask you, uh, as far as anything in your background that made you extra sensitive, or maybe gave you an extra sensitivity toward people who suffered from OCD. Obsessive compulsive disorder per se is not something that I've ever had, you know, genuine problems or issues with. But you just used a very key word there, and that that word is suffering. So suffering is something that I thought a lot about. I'm, you know, very much have a very, very high Holocaust, you know, as a young man. I'm very much part of, you know, a family that was very affected by the Holocaust. So from a very young age, I was very, very aware of the potential for intense suffering that being a human being carries. And I was an Orthodox Jew. I was bar mitzvahed as an Orthodox Jew, Jewish person, and I was a very, very, I was very, very involved in Judaism into my early teens. And being bar mitzvahed as an Orthodox Jew had a very, very profound effect on me that has carried through up to the present moment continually. But when I was in my sort of early 20s, I found out about the relationship between insight into suffering and old school Buddhism, the the pre-Christian version of Buddhism. And so I really did pursue that in a very, very serious way for 30 full years. So until like about almost 10 years ago, that's where the mindfulness part came in. That's why in the 80s, 
I wanted to use mindfulness to help people with obsessive compulsive disorder. And by the way, this story is actually told in in a book I wrote um, in the 90s that, that was published under the title A Return to Innocence, and then it was republished in paperback um, at, with the title Dear Patrick. It's actually letters to, to a young man. The continuity of the story is also actually very interesting. I mean, I, I read on the Internet that, that you also are a Jewish Christian. So this issue of how how does a Jewish person become a Christian is is a very very deep and for me at least this uh, study of self observation which is really what mindfulness is i mean it's a very clear minded form of observing yourself and then get kind of getting to the bottom of the root of suffering it puts a very very strong stress on clear minded non attachment to self it's such a good point what you're bringing up, especially because there's so much suffering when it comes to sin. I actually very much believe that the reason that I was able to be open to Jesus Christ, open to seeing the Holy Spirit um, working on me, that, that process was not just synergized, but in some very serious way made possible by all those the, the very many, many years of very serious practice, because the non-attachment to self part was very important in, in terms of being able to view myself as definitely being Jewish, because, because I grew up in an ethos that put the highest possible stress that, that a person could imagine on never denying your Jewishness. That would be like the most disgraceful, worst thing you could do. Yes. Now, this seems to be the dilemma that a lot of people have, that they don't want to lose their Jewishness. And, of course, uh, the heritage uh, that you're talking about. Uh, however, when Jesus talks about salvation, that is the inheritance of every Jew, which is Jesus. And so how do you become a Christian in the context of not denying your Jewishness? And during this last half century, the culture of evangelical Christianity became very, very accepting of Jewish people, and not trivially at all, especially for me and my emotional background, and supportive of the state of Israel. When you put those two things together, that now I had practiced for many years, 30 years, this skill of observing your inner life clearly without having great attachment to your identity as identity, coupled with an appreciation for the openness to the Jewish people that evangelical Christians had, actually sort of opened me up to other opportunities. Dr. Schwartz, this really reminds me of Romans uh, chapter 11, verse 14, where the scriptures say, If by any means I may provoke to emulation them which are my flesh, and might save some of them, or provoke them to jealousy. And you seeing all these Christians uh, loving on Jewish people, and as you mentioned, the state of Israel, and I think that's the whole point. And then I will just say the last name is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. When I started reading Dietrich Bonhoeffer, that really, really opened me up to seeing the role of Jesus Christ in a person's life. So it, it is this combination of factors that, you know, don't have to do with actually with OCD 
at all, really. I mean, the relationship with OCD was that I saw people who had this interesting neuropsychiatric condition where they were getting intrusive thoughts and intrusive urges and just really thought that you could use mindfulness to change the brains of those people. That was a core insight, and, and it actually worked. And, you know, that's why people know who I am in that field, because, I you know, I did a, a major study that showed that you can use a non-medication, a mind-based approach, an attention training approach to change well-recognized brain circuitry. So interesting. Dr. Schwartz, I want to ask you, when it comes to you recognizing your own need for a savior, we're talking about mindfulness and your work, but what would happen here when you recognize that you were a sinner and you deeply recognize that you had sin uh, before God, and, and how did you find that you desperately needed Jesus to be your savior? That's a really, really great question. Okay, so, okay, on the one hand, this issue of awareness of sin nature, if you combine, you know, the Orthodox Jewish belief with the very, very sort of high awareness of what people can do to one, I mean, when, you, when you're a young boy and you're sitting there, like, studying the Holocaust, I mean, because it literally is true that I was reading, the, you know, the Nuremberg trial transcripts when I was, you know, nine, ten years old. So, so this thing was very, very real to me. And, and, and putting it into, you know, not just an ethnic, but, but an actually biblical context, I was very, very serious about Judaism, very serious. And, and in many ways, I still am. So that was a blessing. You see, that, I mean, that was God working in my life, because you're putting your finger on such an important point. I mean, if you don't have a strong awareness of sin nature, how are you going to really appreciate your need for a Redeemer? And that was the gift. You know, it opens you up to having a direct... Now, now you have the background, you have the biblical training as a young boy, now you're getting into adulthood, and, and now you're learning this observational technique so that you can actually see the sin nature. I mean, you, could, you can see it. You can, because, because when you talk about false pride, when you talk about craving, when you talk about the, the sense that I can do it myself, these kinds of thoughts that due to our fallen nature, everyone has, obviously many people rationalize them. Those who are blessed from a somewhat different direction as, as learning about Christ as their Savior at a, as, as, as a younger person, they, they see it because they realize, oh, Jesus will help me. The Holy Spirit is there for me, which is great. But now I'm saying... This combines the theoretical, historical, ethnic understanding, and for a Jewish person, that really opens one up, especially because you get this more loosening of, of what we might call earthly attachment to your self-identity, and that opens you up to realize, hey, it's Yahweh, it's the same God, and, and this God in the development of the Jewish people, became, was incarnated into a human being. God's Son came to us and offered the possibility of full redemption from sin through 
face. And I, I'm just saying, yeah, I was blessed because these various strains of my background opened me up to the possibility when, especially when I read it in Dietrich Bonhoeffer, to say, there it is. There it is right there. I'm going for that. Wow. Now that gets me excited because I remember when I came to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior about 11 or so years ago, and it's like you experience the Holy Spirit and he, Jesus just enters right in. He changes everything about you, your heart. He gives you a love for his word and you start reading the Bible and telling everybody about him. And so let me ask you, Dr. Schwartz, how did life change for you uh, as a Christian? How life changed being a Christian was that no longer was it just a theoretical insight. It was now absolutely participatory. I mean, it was real world. It was like happening in real time. I mean, where, where like you're feeling it, like you're having the experience. I mean, you, Jesus Christ is no longer just a historical figure or just a symbol or just, you know, a religious figure. He is now alive in you. You're experiencing it. You, you are with him. You are communicating with him. You are talking to him. You are getting answers back. And then studying two great Christian thinkers, as deeply as I have, really helps your Bible reading, because it helps, it makes the scriptures come alive. You really have a context to understand it in. And there's a real person, Jesus Christ. You're in dialogue with a real person. And then the Holy Spirit guiding that. I mean, is guiding that whole process. You have an inner guide. In fact, that's why I use this term, wise advocate. Advocate being one of the key translations of the word paraclete, which is the word that Jesus used to describe the Holy Spirit. Dr. Schwartz, how would you address some of the people who come from a camp, let's just say it's called Nuthetic Counseling in Christian circles, and they believe that sin is responsible for everything, uh, ADHD, uh, OCD, cancer, you name it. Uh, how would you address people who come from that camp, and what are your particular beliefs? Okay, so I think you have to be careful about, about mixing all of that up with a medical disease state, obsessive compulsive disorder, because, because, because I, I would never, ever, ever want to make anyone think that obsessive compulsive disorder per se is because of sin per se. I mean, obsessive compulsive disorder, it, you know, it's a brain condition. Right. I mean, so if you're going to say that obsessive compulsive disorder is, is sin, then you're going to end up saying cancer is sin. You're going to I mean, and you're just going to go down a road which, while technically, theologically, it's arguable. It's so misleading, so misleading. What I would say, though, is that sin nature. Here's the key. Sin nature gets in the way of people doing what they need to do to get better. So all the kind of self-enmity, the self-disparagement, the lack of hope, the feeling that, you know, I'm sick, I'm doomed, I'm cursed, no question. The Christian believer is empowered by the power of Christ in them, in him, in her, to do what that person needs to do to deal with any affliction. Amen, Dr. Jeffrey Schwartz. Uh, unfortunately, we're running out of time here, and, you know, that reminds me of 1 John 4, 4, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Yes, it's the power 
of Christ. Dr. Jeffrey Schwartz has been our special guest on the Messiah Community Radio Talk Show, and what a blessing he is. He's the world's research leader in OCD. Just ask your psychiatrist. He's a research psychiatrist at the School of Medicine at the University of California at Los Angeles, and he's one of the world's leaders in neuroplasticity. Also, he does some work at Biola University for the Center of Christian Thought. Check out his uh, website at jeffreymschwartz.com. Thank goodness for you and your work, and just want to say Rosh Hashanah. <laughs> 